0: Hi I'm Amy and I'm Marcella and we are both transracial and transnational adoptees as well as licensed clinical social workers and trauma therapists. We have dedicated our lives to shedding light on the complexities of adoption and the system responsible for them. We have seen both personally and professionally the silent and overt struggles brought on by this trauma and we are determined to do our part to bring about healing.
1: We know that some of the information we share and topics we unpack may be triggering and uncomfortable at times but we feel the only way to promote change is to be honest by sharing our truths and elevating the experiences of those in our community. We hope you will join us on this journey of listening and learning with an open heart and an open mind. Welcome to Adoptee's Dish.
0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Adoptee's Dish. This is Amy.
1: And this is Marcella. We're so glad to have you here tuning in for another episode. We're really excited and in honor of Valentine's Day, lovely, it's falling on a Tuesday when we have our new episodes. We're really excited to dive into the topic of this this myth, this phrase that is very frequently used in the adoptee community, but we are kind of putting a spin on it. And so this episode, we're going to be diving into the fact that love is not enough.
0: Yeah. And I think that this is something that we've talked about and touched on in many episodes before when you, in social media spaces, I know that this is a phrase that many adoptees talk about. And in this episode, we just want to unpack that a little bit more deeply and and
1: discuss why it's not enough. It's a great start. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I always consider this one of like the biggest myths of adoption. And I think that it's one that it, adoption and just the whole industry that it is like, this is a really foundational myth because people have this misconception that, Oh, I can just love the trauma away or I can love the pain away. Or as long as I'm loving this child, and that means like everything is going to work out and everything is going to be totally fine. And it really causes a lot of damage because it's erasing, it's dismissing, it's minimizing, number one, certain just parts of the child. And then on top of that, the very real trauma that they've experienced. And so for me, this is always just like one of the top, this has got to be in like the top three biggest, biggest myths for me in terms of adoption.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that adoptees feel, right? Like just being an adopted person, part of the experience is just knowing that love is not enough. And even working with adoptive parents, I mean, I've had so many parents I know just from life, both clinically and personally, it took a really long time to feel bonded, let alone have like a genuine love, like a maternal love or paternal love for their yep. child. And I think that that really shook them to the core because they had this expectation, you know, at the time of placement, this love would just sprout and it would be so strong, and there'd be these paternal or maternal instincts, and everything would just be so amazing and wonderful. And from the adoptive parent side, uh, I think it's brave to admit at times that there, it took a really long time.
1: Yeah, I think it really sends the message. um, It's It's like so like fairy tale-ish, right? That just kind of premise of, you know, love is all you need or love is enough or, you know, all you need is love, all those like cutesy little phrases. But I think it really just kind of sends the false advertising that like this love, this really intense love and this bond is going to be instant and that it's going to automatically be reciprocated. Like it's automatically going to go both ways, the adoptive parent to the child and the child to the adoptive parent. And that, that love can just like overpower and, you know, rise to any challenge and that you don't need to bring in added supports, added interventions, added education that you can just kind of coast on the fact that like oh but there's love there and I think that it's just unfortunately this messaging this really false messaging that the adoption industry adoption agencies have fallen back on because it's like a really good marketing tool
0: totally and you can love somebody so much and have genuine attachment that's secure and wonderful but love doesn't necessarily know how to navigate trauma and love doesn't necessarily know how to have conversations around race or grief or okay. loss. Love doesn't necessarily have the skill set to be really therapeutic and attuned, right? Like some of those characteristics I think are what make love a special and intimate and you know wonderful connection, attunement, all those things. But just because somebody loves someone doesn't mean that they also can't be harmful or hurtful. And so there's a lot there that if we just like stop the conversation at I love them and that's it, then we're automatically going to be misattuning to children and their needs that are so specialized when it comes to being an adopted person
1: yeah i mean i think i see it so often and you know i work with a lot of families there there is immense amount of love there right there's so much love there's lots of good intentions right but i also see that sometimes that love especially when it comes from the adoptive parents and it can actually hinder things because it's like that love makes you want to shelter. That love makes you not want to have the card conversations because you don't want to be causing any pain. You know, that love is something that makes you want to kind of like ignore the really heavy stuff and just kind of focus on the positive. I think a lot of times that's where like the toxic positivity Mm -hmm. mentality kind of comes in. And so I am not by any means saying that love is not important and it is a vital component, but it can't be the end all be all. Right. No, that's such a good point. Yeah. I'm curious though, Amy, with like the clients that you work with or even per- like personally over the course of your life, have you been confronted with the, like, all you need is love cutesy kind of type messaging?
0: Oh my gosh. A hundred percent. I
1: think when I so I've always
0: been su- super impacted by my adoption, and I, I from a very young age I got really curious. I went, I entered reunion at the age of fifteen. I searched. I was super young, um, especially for international closed adoption from our generation. Yeah, I there was so much pushback from family friends or I think family in some ways of just like why would you allow your kid to do that she has everything that she needs already why there's like this like mentality that she already has what she needs she should be grateful there's yeah you know you guys love her so much why would she ever be curious that's like she's being so disrespectful and going against this quote-unquote love right so I think just mm. personal level I think that it is There's such a misunderstanding of what the experience of adoption is for an adopted person that by being curious, you're labeled as being unloving or ungrateful or disloyal when really it's a human quality to be curious. We all have these parts of us that deserve answers. And if you're curious about something, it deserves exploration. I think, though, that that is something that has always been around, right? Or like I, I even in practice, in my practice all the time, I still work with parents that take it so personally. Yeah. For parents, sure. Or when their kids just say, Hey, I'm really curious about birth country or I'm really curious about, you know, maybe I'm ready to search. And parents can take that very personally as they don't love me. Right? They don't yes. love me. I love them so hard. I gave them so much. I've paid for so many things, or, you know, how could they do this to me? And when parents don't work through their own rejection stuff, their own grief and loss, it's really easy to take that trauma personally. And we have to always remember that there's so much to our stories as adoptees that don't belong to our adoptive families. They're 100% our stories. There are beginnings before they were even there or around. And that like that right there, right? If love was enough, then we wouldn't ever be curious. It would, it would just, we would be able to wipe our hands clean and not have to worry about this biological, physiological change that happened in our bodies. I'm curious for you though, how have you seen that played out, whether it's personally or professionally?
1: For sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that even I can resonate with everything that you just said. And as you were talking you know, both personally and professionally, I feel like when this is the mentality that is, um, you know, adopted, right, that like love is all you need, we can just love, you know, all of these things, the the interesting like um, read between the lines under it, I think is what we miss, which is like you only need our love, right, all you need is our love, aka like the adoptive parents love. And the like subtle underneath the surface ask is like, well, you just need our love and you should be good enough with our love that you shouldn't have to search, right? You shouldn't have to be curious. You shouldn't have to, you know, go and seek out all of these other things to fill in those puzzle pieces and those missing gaps. Like we should just be enough in the love that we give you in whatever way that looks should be enough. And then I think that it, again, just feeds this loyalty bind in adoptees of like it for most of us, right? There is love from our biological families, from, you know, our birth mothers, all of those things. In so many cases, this was not something that was done, you know, maliciously or anything like that. And so then it's like, well, why can't that love be part of the story and why can't that love be honored and prioritized and well why wasn't that love enough right um and I think that that's something that again puts the adoptee in this position whether it's said overtly covertly whatever that you're having to pick and choose and that your adoptive parents like love is somehow inherently better than you know birth families love which I think is just it's really messy
0: Totally. And how many of us have had that messaging that your birth parents loved you so much that they placed you for adoption. It just implies that adoptive, the whole adoptive world is better, right? When we now know it's just different and it, it confuses what love really is, right? Because then we have this implicit and really wonky view of what love is, which is- Totally
1: Totally warped view.
0: Yeah. And so- you know I know my parents got divorced when I was super super young and my adoptive parents did and I remember by the time I was like 10 years old I remember thinking if you love somebody you're you clearly just leave them right yes love
1: equals leaving that's That's like our message love equals leaving so I think that it, it just furthers that belief too like so many of us as adoptees struggle with not feeling lovable, feeling unlovable, feeling like we don't deserve love. And then for us to already have these really like warped views and kind of like conflicting thoughts and feelings about love, but then to keep receiving the message, well, love is all you need, right? This is all you need. We're going to get through it with love. Love makes a family. Like that can be really triggering.
0: Yeah, it, it makes it feel like the bar is just so unattainable, right? Like- oh, yes, yes. It's like, oh, I have to work. If love, it may, if if love is all I need, right? And I ever, it's so easy to have, right? Because I know my parents love me so much, but I'm not necessarily sure of what love really means or what it looks like. Yeah. Then it's constantly striving, and then I think that's when we start to fall into these patterns of fawning or people pleasing because. We just want to feel that connection, but the connection itself feels so triggering. It feels like such a threat to our systems that it just reinforces that confusion and sense of security for us because we don't have a clear time-oriented understanding of connection is safe, right? Or the connection is gonna be okay or that we're not gonna be abandoned just because somebody might be a little frustrated or maybe somebody else is dysregulated doesn't necessarily mean that it's our fault. And I think that our system so desperately are like, we will do whatever we need to, to stay in connection, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's love either. It just means that we are so triggered around relationships and being in connection that we just don't, we like, we would stay in Dysfunctional and harmful relationships simply so we don't have to lose that connection.
1: Yeah. Rather than being in we connection betray ourselves, in that totally. Yeah, yeah. We just betray ourselves because betraying ourselves, especially when we don't even have a sense of ourselves, feels way easier than having to go through another huge loss of yeah. another person.
0: And I mean, I know I've seen that even in my own personal life. And later, I look back and I'm like, "Oh wow, now I can really see clearly these patterns and strategies." I like, know. I
1: like think of like teenage me. I'm like, "Oh shit, girl, you were right? you were going through it." Right. And I think it's really common
0: too, because what I see in clients, and I even see it as young young me, is just like when kids are. I see this all the time in practice, where kids will be make a ton, a ton, a ton of friends. And then all of a sudden parents are like, oh my God, she started or he started the year with so many friends and now doesn't talk to anyone or last God. year, all this yeah. stuff. And like now a totally new friend group, right? And I think it's it just, re- it just reinforces my belief about how we're constantly in this dance of connection feels really amazing. Our systems just know intuitively that that's what we need to survive. But connections are so triggering for us that, they also can, it can be really hard to like sustain connection with people.
1: And I think it's also important. And I've, I've seen this across the course of my career, seen this, you know, personally and, you know, with, with other adoptive families is like sometimes, and this goes totally against this myth of like, love is all you need. And that all adoptive homes are really loving homes is sometimes there is not love in adoptive homes. Like that is a very real thing that like that never gets any media spotlight that never gets like any kind of airtime. And a lot of times these adoptions happen and adoptive family, adoptive, you know, extended family, all of these things like there, there's not an ounce of love there. And I think that that's important to touch on too.
0: It's so true. I mean, there's a reason why adoptees are four times more likely to attempt suicide, right? Right. There's and a that's lot. facts, people. Like that's yeah, a fact. That's a real life statistic, and it's not. I mean, if it was, if it was all sunshine and rainbows and butterflies and unicorns, then that statistic I would assume would be. My theory would be that that statistic is just extremely different, right? It would just present differently. But there's so many things that pour into why I think that is such a high number, and one of them I think is that. Just across the board, there's so much misattunement. Parents are so excited to grow their, many parents are so excited to grow their family, the process of adoption, whatever that motivator is. And whether it's well-intentioned or not, and because that excitement overshadows so much, right? I'm the adult and I know what's best. And I I have always had this vision. And so I know what's best or I just love you so much. So that's going to be enough, right? Like yeah. that all falls underneath that same umbrella. And again, whether well-intentioned or not, that misattunement in itself is going to be missing the mark. If a child is experiencing a distress and not having the mirroring or the outlets to be able to express that or expresses it and doesn't have that match sensitivity with it, it's just going to enhance and complex, make everything feel more complex when it comes around that that initial adoption wound.
1: Yeah, for sure. No. And I think that that touches on something really important because like just on a fundamental level, myths like this, right, this love is all you need myth or love makes a family it really ignores major statistics like that, like legit yeah. life or death statistics for yeah. our community that, you know, need to be addressed in order for us to find healing, in order for some of those wounds to be healed. So that was just one of them. I mean, I am always one to think of just the 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 fact that We as an adoptee community are so overrepresented in substance use facilities, in the mental health world in general, in prisons, like all of those things. Like there are huge, enormous percentages of people who are adopted in those spaces.
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, you're right. Like it wouldn't be if it was just as great as everyone portrays it or hopes for it to be, then that experience would play out so differently.
1: Yeah, for sure. Another big one. And I'm sure you, you talk about stuff like this too, with your clients, especially when they're, you know, school age, age, uh, kids and things like that. But like another really important statistic is like adoptees, like we are two times more likely to have some sort of disability or, you know, challenge that impacts school performance and school functioning. Like that is, that's a really Significant statistic because most adoptees are going to be going to school for at least, you know, through high school and things like that. And like that is something that is bound to come up. And again, you think of like that all you need is love statistic at schools, right? Like lots of times the teachers really love the kids, right? Really love them, really care about them. But if they're fundamentally missing this piece of oh, this kiddo was adopted and I'm going to need to attune differently. I'm going to need to, you know, uh, show up differently. I'm going to need to accommodate differently. That kid is either going to be mislabeled or pathologized or put into situations that are causing additional trauma, or mm-hmm. they're going to totally slip through the cracks.
0: A hundred percent. Well, yeah, I think, Yeah, I mean that's such an excellent point. And I think like my mind immediately goes older adoptees that come from inner inner like inner country adoptions, right? Yeah, like sibling groups, yeah. And then are doing ESL in school and just and like getting pathologized just for not knowing English, right? And Mm -hmm. having um and then or just you know, and like just that experience alone, right? Just having that experience of moving to a country and you know, having being thrown into a new culture and then having a school system that is just not culturally competent when it comes to understanding where you come from no. and your systems or how you value education or what resources were, or weren't available or, and that, yeah. can, and another thing too, is I think what we, I see, and I'm sure you see this too, is that a lot of times when we have these conversations, we focus on like these really, really big behaviors or these big behaviors that feel confusing or random or whatever they look like. But like, like really in-your-face kind of stuff. But what I also see is the flip side is that there's a huge group, like a huge population of adult, adoptees that I think fall under the camp of perfectionism. Yeah. And a lot of their stuff is they suffer in silence because they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to... Push limits and boundaries out of fear for falling out of rejection or upsetting or being rejected again. And so their internal worlds are so wildly anxious Mm -hmm. that those are the ones that are going to slip through the cracks all the time because people are, oh, those are the kids that are so good. They're always listening. They're always like performing so well, but they're burning themselves out every single day. And that's not sustainable. Their systems don't believe that they're able or like even allowed to have that permission to rest because if they do something could slip up right and so they're in this constant hypervigilant state and that's so unfair right like we also have to be able to be attuned enough to know that there's something else going on there as well
1: right well and I think what's so important too is like when you know you have adoptees in those survival states that you're talking about right like they're not in a place where they're even like able to feel your love if you have it for them like they are just so laser focused on surviving and getting through moment to moment that even if you're like living that mentality of like all you need is need is love and I love this kid and you know like that's not translating through like you have to raise the bar for yourself as the adult or as like the other person in that adoptee's life to be able to actually make a dent and kind of be able to pull them out of some of that survival mode. Again, I'm not saying that love isn't super, super important, but love in and of itself is not going to be able to pull somebody back to like a regulated state and into a non-survival mode. Like it's just not. Yeah,
0: 100%.
1: Yeah. I mean, if it did, that'd be awesome.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But other things that you think of or that pop into your head when, like, we think about this whole premise that this, you know, love is all you need mentality ignores a lot. Are there other things that come to mind that it kind of, like, erases or ignores? Yeah. I just think, like, racially, how... You know for transracial adoptees there's
0: such a different lived experience when it comes out interacting with the world and even interacting within family right that if somebody doesn't really stop and get curious about what that experience is like it's going to be really hard to create pathways towards safety around racial identity and literally felt safety out in in the community or resources just to know how to keep yourself alive right And that can be incredibly distancing when it comes to relationships and not feeling like I'm really seen and affirmed for who I authentically am because my parents have no buy-in that this racism is really happening to me or my parents have no buy-in that I'm being harmed in my community on a daily basis or that microaggressions are constantly being thrown in my direction or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And that can feel really make somebody feel incredibly unsafe right like right. how can I feel loved again going back to that survival mode if I'm constantly like feeling that no matter where I turn I never like know danger. right exactly yeah. and when our systems constantly are getting cues of danger like that then it becomes really hard really really hard to attach
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that it goes into something that I think you and I have both mentioned as transracial adoptees and in other episodes is, you know, maybe, right, like our families, our parents have the mentality and do love and adore us and have that love is all you need approach. But that does not mean that the rest of the world has the, you know, I love you, I'm going to love and embrace you kind of mentality, right? Like that might have been something that, for example, like my parents had. But then like when I went out into the world, like on my own and didn't have them to kind of like shield and protect me and things like that, there's a whole lot of people out there that I can tell you right now, like they don't love me, right? Like they do not adopt this mentality. So I think that just, you know, even parents having that mentality and thinking, oh, everybody else is going to have it toward my kid too, is like kind of naive because that's, It's just not the reality, especially when you're talking about you have a kid who is, you know, black or brown.
0: Yeah. We talk, I don't like the terminology, but I'm just going to say it just to make a point. But we talk a lot about how adoptees come out of the fog, right? Or like they, there comes a point and I don't like that terminology at all. I don't, but it's just, just to make a point. There's a point usually in an adopted person's life where they just tend to get a little bit more curious about where they come from, their experiences, how adoption has impacted them as a whole. And I think what I'm seeing now, just in clinical practice, and I'm curious if you say this too, I would say that after doing a lot of work in session, most parents kind of have their own equivalent to that, right? Where it's like, oh, kind of fed into a system here. I feel a little duped. I feel like yeah. I didn't really have a full understanding of what All the impacts of this my agency left a lot of this out and they get curious with that as well and as an adoptive parent i think it also can be hard because we've talked about this in other episodes too like this whole rupture and repair right so like ruptures happen automatically right nothing's perfect there's going to be bumps in every relationship but it's that repair it's how we go about fixing those bumps in the road that brings attachment, that brings connection, that brings felt safety and ultimately brings love, right? And I think that one of the most powerful things that adoptive parents can do is admit that, right? Like admit, Mm -hmm. I did not have all the answers and I certainly still don't have all the answers. And there have been things that we've done in this house or that we've done in the community or that we've exposed you to that have been really harmful and I just want you to know that I see you and I love you and I'm very 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 sorry that you ever had to be put in a situation that made you uncomfortable or that was that made you unsafe or whatever it might be I think that acknowledgement is a really meaningful repair that seemingly we all could do, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't require any money. It doesn't require any travel to, you know, a facility for an intervention or anything like that. It's literally just being able to acknowledge and be vulnerable that and let our egos go a little bit that we there's no possible way that we know everything. And taking yeah. some accountability and ownership.
1: For sure. No, I think I've I've seen that play out just within my own family. And I think that that has been such an important thing that at least personally allowed for some levels of healing, like the fact that like you're acknowledging that you were misinformed or you're acknowledging that you didn't have all the information, you're acknowledging that you screwed some things up. And I do, I have, I've worked with many, many families over the years that they did kind of have some of those light bulb moments. And in some ways, those light bulb moments can be really, really amazing, because they're like, you know, really important. But also, I do think that there is this sense of like, like, kind of like an oh, shit moment of like, oh, like, I thought x, y, and z. And now I'm realizing that that was totally inaccurate, that I might have actually been doing some things unknowingly that were really, really harmful. And now I'm having to figure out like, how do I now backtrack all of this? And how do I figure out how to make those repairs where I can? And I think that it can be kind of daunting. And I think that that is not a reason that adoptive parents shouldn't do it, because like we as the adoptees have to face many many daunting things day in and day out but I think that that is something it's like this mixed bag it can be both it can be like oh my gosh I'm so glad that I'm finally seeing the truth of this and the fact that you know love isn't all you need for example but I also you know I I think sometimes I see parents that it's like they kind of do want to retreat into that you know, past mentality of like, oh, but that was easier, right? It was way easier to just kind of live in that bubble and think that I could just love my kid to death and that like, they would be totally fine instead of having to face the fact that like, no, I have to do all of this extra stuff because in my opinion, like when you're going to be an adoptive parent, like this is a kind of like special needs parenting that you are signing up for. Yeah, no, that's so true. That's so accurate. It really is because- Yeah, there's
0: because love is not enough. That's exactly why. <laughs> because right.
1: it's like keep- there, there's extra work involved. And, yeah. you know, for adoptive parents out there, because I get, you know, the, the question a lot of like, you know, well, should, you know, all parents, you know, should be held to this really high standard and blah, blah, blah. And like, yes, all parents should take that job very, very seriously. But when you are an adoptive parent, this is something that to a different level, like you are choosing, you are choosing this life well, you're I choosing like, all of this
0: yeah I just look at it like like when we go back to that whole conversation around rupture and repair if you're an adoptive parent you're choosing to take on a whole lot of repair when you didn't cause that rupture mm-hmm. right and so I think that there's a lot of parents who are like but I didn't cause that so my like somebody else needs to just fix my child yeah the best intervention that kids can have is when their primary caregivers are able to do this work, right? When homes feel therapeutic, when parents are able to parent from attachment style parenting, right? And they're able to to do that. But that that is a very conscious choice to take that on and knowing that you're gonna be the one who's having to navigate a lot of this repair for rupture that you didn't cause. And you certainly don't want to be causing more rupture and then just void of that repair.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that it's just, if you think of it, just big picture, there is so much harm and so many, there's so much fallout that can happen from, you know, premises like these being like the stepping stone for adoption. Right. And I think that that's why a lot of people who quite frankly, probably are not Equipped for many different reasons to be adoptive parents, end up, you know, pursuing this because they, you know, they drink the Kool Aid. They think, oh, you know, I could love a child. I could love a cute little baby. I could love, you know, this cute little sibling group. Like, of course, no problem. And then everything inevitably kind of blows up once that adoption takes place. And then so often I see then the parents really struggle to love and maybe it's because they're mad that you know the agency lied to them they're mad at this like societal narrative they're feeling duped they're feeling stupid all of this other stuff that is not the kids stuff but the kids end up becoming the scapegoats
0: yeah and that's their burden it's the kids burden yes and then it's just it's too much like the a young baby is cute of course right or a little child is so sweet but inevitably those kids are going to grow up and those 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 trauma
1: is going to manifest. There's trauma, like
0: grief is going to present, right? Yep. And these big curiosities are normal and they're natural. And we don't want to shame somebody for being just naturally curious about their stories or where they come from. Mm-hmm. If anything, we want to be able to be as grounded as possible. So we have like widened our capacity to let them be as curious and know that we can stay regulated despite whatever comes up or if they decide to search that we can stay regulated for them. And that takes a tremendous amount of work. Like we all have our own stuff. No one's void of that, but because you're actively choosing to invite somebody from a different family, from like a different lineage, from a different ancestral place, all this stuff into your life. And even if it's a kinship placement, right. Mm-hmm. There's still this like a huge level of trauma there. And the more that we understand ourselves and can work through our own stuff, the more compassion, empathy, and space that we can hold for others who need, who others who are more vulnerable to work through their stuff, right? Yeah. Why would we not want to give somebody that gift? Mm -hmm. Like, why would we ever be resistant to creating safety for others? We all deserve that. If we deserve that as individuals, like how could we, I just never will understand how that people are resistant to creating safety for other people.
1: Totally. Yeah. It's mind boggling. It's mind boggling. But I think that you hit on something so important of like so often it is the adoptive parents or the professionals or the teachers or whoever, it's their own stuff that's getting activated And just from what I've seen clinically over the years, it's like not that the love like entirely goes away, but like the the love kind of shrinks a little bit because it's masked and it's like covered up by like the frustration and the anxiety and the stress and the overwhelm that this family system is going through because there's so much stuff that's rooted in trauma. So people are not you know, once they've kind of gone through some of this, they're not leading with love anymore. They're leading with, I want this behavior to stop. They're leading with, oh my gosh, you're pissing me off. They're leading with like, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. Why are you doing this to me? All of these other things. And then unfortunately, this, you know, all you need is love premise. Like the love is really, really hard to access. And I think that is where so many adoptees end up getting, pathologize, put in like residential cent- treatment centers, you know, put on medications. Like there is so much research that shows there is over-representation of, you know, adoptees in like residential treatment facilities and group homes. So many adoptees, I can even just speak to my case. So they're over-medicated just to make these really big things stop to try and suppress however this trauma is manifesting. And I'm sorry, like to me, that is the total opposite of loving that is that is, there's there's not there's not love in that.
0: Well, yeah, because when parents are activated and working and functioning out of their own survival mode, mm-hmm. there's no way that they could possibly be. And, I, and this is like this is I'm not trying to be offensive, but I mean, this is just human fact on like human behavior, if, like parent or not. If you're activated, there's no way that you can be as attuned then to somebody else. Like it's just you're, yeah. you're activated, you're lit up in all your own stuff, and that's hijacking and running the show. Totally. So you now you have a child who's super hyper vigilant within connections and re, within relationships, and if your words aren't matching your body language, or if your, you know, facial expressions aren't matching your tone you're immediately going to be sending off cues of danger to this child and they're going to retreat and be like, okay, my caregiver is not regulated and I don't feel safe because like what I inherently know in my system to be true or to feel safe, we're giving me mixed signals here. And that's a cue. Mm-hmm. Of danger, and therefore I am not safe in this relationship which is why, of course, we all have bad days. Of course, we all raise our voice. I mean, like, right, like, like, realistically, like, but no one's expecting anyone to be perfect. It all about that repair and how we navigate that, but it all comes down to being able to recognize our own shortcomings and how do we attune and make sure that we're coping with our own stuff so that we're not burdening others with that, especially people who already are holding such a load that comes from relational trauma. Yeah, for sure, for
1: sure. I wanted to, too, we had kind of talked about before we hopped on just that inherent and this is like for adoptees out there that are listening and just some insight for people that are not adopted, but just the difference between love and attachment, right? Because like you never hear the phrase like attachment is all you need or like it's always (laughs) love is all you need or something like really cutesy like that. And this is something that I see really no matter the age of the adoptee that I work with something that is on the table of there's kind of like this confusion with love and attachment I don't know if you see that too with the people that you work with
0: totally yeah 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 I mean when we think about attachment we need to be attached to our caregivers and we need to for
1: survival for
0: survival which is why I always say and I think people like really don't understand what I'm saying when I say this but the younger we are, the more rejection feels life-threatening. Because the younger we are, the more vulnerable we are, which means we're more mm-hmm. dependent on our caregivers for survival. So yeah. the younger we are, if a caregiver comes in and says, "Hey, I like don't want to take care of you, or I'm neglectful, or I like whatever that is," our systems go into panic and um, attachment sh- abandonment shock. Because all of a sudden, we're like, wait a second, my expectation is I'm going to be cared for by my caregivers. That's what like what my biology says is going to happen. And when that doesn't happen, like, how am I supposed to survive? Right? And so, like, so that is really why attachment is so important. But as we grow, and as we access our own communities, as we critically think and reflect, as we get curious and whether we're given opportunities or not given opportunities to explore those curiosities and what we might find in that exploration, we might come to very different conclusions of like, okay, I was attached because I was a child and I had no other choice. Like I had yes. to be in that environment. I had no choice in who adopted me or who raised me or where, what community we lived in, right? Those were adult decisions. Mm -hmm. now as an adult I'm realizing or as a teen or as I'm growing and I'm getting curious I'm like whoa some of these patterns or exposure has been really really harmful to me Mm -hmm. and that can raise really big questions of oh wow like I I don't know how I feel about my caregivers because they all they they love me so much so much but if they loved me how could they stand by and watch me be harmed or how could they yeah. stand by when i've constantly been advocating for myself that this this racist thing is happening or this person is being harmful in this way how could they not how could they not prioritize my well-being how could they not prioritize my safety mm-hmm. right and then we see adults that have very large massive internal conflicts around what safety is, around what love is, around what um, you, how they use their own voice and advocate for themselves. Right. So this is like, this is a really big deal. And I think you bring up a good point
1: that love and attachment are different. They're very different. I mean, I talked to a lot of my clients so much about how there was like this amazing, amazing study that, um, talks about just the the parts of your brain that light up on like a brain scan when we're talking about like, you know, a child and a caregiver are just two individuals that are connecting from a place of attachment, which is survival based. So it's all like that like really um, you know, primitive part of your brain that's lighting up. And then when it's, you know, an actual like love based, you know connection, it's totally different areas of your brain that are lighting up. So even just on like a neurobiological level, those things are so different. And yeah. when, as for us, right, again, like you were saying, um, we didn't have a choice, right? We didn't have a choice in, you know, whether we were, it was first our, our birth mothers, then it was, you know, if we were in institutionalized care or foster care setting and there were a bunch of caregivers and then we went to adoptive parents, like we had to shuffle around and like attach, quote unquote, with like all of these different people, just because we were totally reliant on them for our needs, did we really have the Capacity to like love all of those nurses that were caring for us or to just like love our adoptive parents right off the bat? Like, no, probably not, because there had already been so much trauma that was endured by our system. And what I see, you know, with the, you know, teenage clients that I work with that are starting to get into relationships or even with adult adoptees I work with, so often they will enter into relationships from a place of, like attachment, survival, like they'll be like overly clingy and needy, or they will be, you know, like needing all of this kind of reassurance. And it's like this place of survival instead of this place of like, I want this love. like love to grow. Yeah. Yeah. No, that so resonates. And like,
0: I see it all the time in my practice. I've even yeah. seen and strategies in my own life. And I think another study that's super interesting is that the average baby learns to smile around like two months old, but kids who've been placed at birth have been, or like have this really early, early, early um, separation trauma have been known to start smiling at literally two or three days old. And I think that that just speaks to both of these studies, I think speak to how this really isn't about love and it's really about science, right? It's, it's literally yeah. about how I always tell my clients like, well, at the end of the day, your nervous system is only cares about one thing. And that's how to, how to make sure you survive. Your nervous system doesn't under, can't decipher intention. It just deciphers cues of safety or cues of danger. Right. And it's act accordingly. And so, and if there's confusion, right. And if it's not clear on what something is safety, how it's conceptualizing safety or how it's conceptualizing danger and threat, right. That might even be wonky and like not fully. Totally. Yeah accurately right which of course makes sense when we think about the brain and how it develops and over time if these things have impacted the nervous system from day one well then how could the system ever have a fair chance at really knowing you know these cues of safety or cues of danger
1: yeah But I think that that's always like a really hard reality. And I've I've sat with adoptees and, you know, even myself, like over the course of like my therapy healing journey of like, it, it sucks to know that on some level, like that fairy tale ish story of like, oh, yeah, like I just instantly loved my parents and all of those things like isn't necessarily the truth. Like it sucks to know that like little teeny tiny me had to just like attach to them because like it was what I needed in order to survive and I think that there really is this conflict and this um, this this kind of stuff that has to be sorted out for adoptees of absolutely like from the beginning especially when we were children We were connecting from a place of attachment, from a place of survival that really didn't have anything to do with like the love and care that, you know, is advertised when it comes to, you know, the adoption industry and stuff like that. But I think that it is important to know like it does not mean that there can't be or isn't love amongst you and your adoptive family because I think that a lot of adoptees get freaked out of like, oh shit, so that means that like I didn't really love them or that means that that wasn't real and then like we get into this like vicious cycle and it's like another one of those perfect examples of like, it can be both, like it can yeah. be that you had to attach because that was what you were wired to do. And that was like the best that you were possibly doing at the time. And it could be that you genuinely do have, have love for, you know, all of these people. And it also could mean that you don't, and that's okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Another thing that comes to mind is that if love truly was enough, I don't think there would be so much resistance for supporting birth family because if love was enough, then seemingly you would do any and everything that you could to make sure that your child had everything that they needed. And if search and reunion was part of that, or if open adoption, you know, um, like wasn't going smoothly and parents were feeling really threatened by biofam connection, right? That that like wouldn't exist if love was, was not enough, right? Like if love was enough, yeah. then, then that would be a lot more smooth. But I feel like so many barriers come up where parents don't want to co-parent or have this open mentality or yeah. you know, from our generation, so many parents opted to adopt internationally just so they would never have to deal with that bio family piece. Right. And so yeah. I think that that's another huge message that we're sending to children is that, yeah, you I can accept you into our family, but I don't really see dignity and worth in anybody like, in your ancestral line or in your community or, or your racial group or whatever that might be, mm-hmm. and that's a very mixed message that can, when when internalized, again is just like internalizes cues of danger. Like I don't see how that could ever be anything other than that, and that's just something that's going to break attachment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then the the further that that divide that that rupture is within attachment well, then it's going to be harder to reach towards love. Because what you're saying is that like, just because there's attachment doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be love, right? Yeah. And if we have attachment, that's very broken. Well, now we're setting the bar so much higher for a child to feel loved and be able to yeah. get in return.
1: Totally. I mean, as you were saying that even about birth families is like, I really believe that if, you know, this, if if love really was enough, right? Like we probably wouldn't, necessarily see as many adoptions happening. Because like I was saying earlier, so many adoptions, right? Like I think of, you know, just even my own adoption, right? Like there was no lack of love there, right? Like I, like there was a lot of love there. It came down to didn't have resources, right? Didn't have supports, didn't have, you know, education, those kinds of things. And so again, it sends that message of, you know, it's not enough, for love to be all you need from your birth family it has to be from this other total you know unit that is separate from that that's better it's and like one's better and one's worse that's the mentality that that sends
0: or even to take it a step further is that if love if if the love for that child is like truly as large and massive then why wouldn't the emphasis be on family preservation, right? Right. Saying like, how, why wouldn't it be the conversation be more about how can I resource this family more or support Mm -hmm. this family more so that, because I love this child so much, I would never want to inflict this type of trauma or hurt on them. Mm -hmm. So that does it become a conversation about love or does it come a conversation around entitlement to that child? And I know that that's a really hard and really, really triggering point to make. But it's, it's so true different. though it's it's, it's so true
1: it's so true and it's it's also like where the money is like that's another like really harsh reality but it's like there is no money in family preservation, right? That's just like, you know, helping this, this family get on their feet, have what they need, allowing that family unit to stay intact. That's not where the money is, which is why the adoption agencies have really like clung on to messages like this because it gets people in the door. Like it gets people interested. It keeps that demand sky high all the time.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. So wild. So wild, but wild. ultimately I think the you know the conclusion to all of this is that love is not enough. And there's so much more that we can do to resource ourselves and support one another to make sure that our needs are being met. Um, and that parents are able to be really attuned. And I'm so thankful to know other adoptees like you who've devoted your
1: life to literally having these conversations. Totally. Right back at you, Hermana. It is. It is. It is. It's not for everyone. Right. I think that it 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 is a special breed of us that are able to do this work when it hits us on such a personal level. And then also it is like what we do day in and day out with so many other people. And, you know, it, it is draining and it's exhausting because, you know, even though we're talking about, you know, the love is all you need from such a like clinical lens and like all of these, you know, statistics and things like that, like, you know, just my own system like cringes hearing some of these things because I know not only has it impacted my life over the years, but it also impacts like my clients, like that's stuff that I take really, really seriously. and. You know, our our hope in having these conversations is just to get the information out there and hopefully have people out there think differently about some of this stuff, because it seriously is life-saving if we can make some of these changes. It, it's honestly, I, I'm not saying that in like an exaggerated way, like this is honestly like life-saving for, for our community. Absolutely.
0: So we're going to head over to Community Corner, but thanks for tuning in, guys. It's always
1: great to be in community with you. Thanks so much. And you guys can feel free to reach out to us at adopteesdish at gmail.com or podcast on Instagram. Have a good day.
0: Welcome to Community Corner, where every episode, we will share a tip to deepen allyship within the adoptee community.
1: No matter your connection to adoption, it is our collective responsibility and within our capacity to heal broken systems.
0: Welcome back to Community Corner. We like to take a moment in most of our episodes now to just give a shout out or a special tip or fact. And today in honor of Valentine's Day, we thought it would
1: just be great to pour some love back into
0: our adoptee community.
1: Yeah. So to all the adoptees that are out there and listening, just please know with every ounce of your being that today, on a day like Valentine, on a day like Valentine's Day, but also just every day, that you are worthy of safe and healthy connections, that you are loved, and that you are deserving of spaces that are safe for you to be able to honor all parts of yourself.
0: Yeah. And so, for all the moments where you don't feel like you've been seen, know that you are truly seen and that you are so deeply and incredibly loved. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening to Adoptee's Dish. We wanna give a special shout out to Patreon, Spotify, iTunes, and Anchor. If you like what you heard and wanna support our work, or allow us to have amazing guests on our show, please consider making a donation. We can be reached on Instagram at Podcast at Grow Hill Blossom and Marcella Maslow. And you can send us emails at adopteesdish at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for our next episode. Please share this podcast, talk to others about things you learned. Together, we have the potential to heal broken systems.